Welcome to the podcast. In 2011, the U.S. Department of Justice obtained an injunction against me prohibiting me from assisting Americans who know the truth about the income tax from living it out successfully. I'm sure there are a good many Americans who believe if a court enjoins a person, that person must be doing something bad or wrong. In order to help my fellow Americans determine if that's true, I'm going to propose a simple task. If you can do this simple task, I'm going to give you $50,000. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. I did a presentation on this subject, minus the cash reward, several years ago. When YouTube shut down my channel for telling the truth about SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and the vaccines, that video was lost forever. As a side note, everything I said about SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and the vaccines, for which I was deplatformed, has since been proven true in multiple scientific studies. The original video on this subject was lengthy and highly detailed. I'm going to keep this one shorter while still giving you all the information you need to take a shot at that $50,000. I'm going to begin by giving you a bit of background on how the court proceeding went, and then I'll divulge the simple task that can earn you $50,000. The case was heard before Judge Percy Anderson. In the original presentation, I quoted lawyers and court staff who'd worked for Anderson and whose remarks painted a picture of how arrogant, unprofessional, and disliked Anderson is. Today, I'll simply mention that The Robing Room, which is a website for legal professionals that rates judges, rated only two federal judges out of almost 1,800 worse than Anderson. Imagine being third from the bottom out of 1,800 judges. That's quite an achievement. Anderson is what I call a welfare judge. What that phrase means is the government sees a mediocre attorney not doing well in the private sector and approaches him or her with an offer of a federal judgeship, which is a lifetime judge, in exchange for doing the government's bidding in certain cases. The agreement is that in exchange for a prestigious lifetime job that can't be taken away, no matter how terrible the person's performance is, Welfare judges like Anderson will corruptly hand the government a win in cases where the government could not prevail without the collusion of a dirty judge. But as I always say, please do not believe me. Make up your own mind as you hear the facts. The government's case was based on a claim by the IRS that I promoted to my clients three positions concerning U.S. tax law that had been adjudicated by the federal courts to be frivolous, and therefore, I was leading people astray from the truth, and in doing so, impeding the revenue of the U.S. Treasury. In short, the government was asserting it was the victim being harmed by false statement the government alleged I made. There are three factors that bear upon the IRS's claim against me. First, who exactly made the claim? Second, what was I alleged to have said to my clients that had previously been adjudicated by the federal courts to be frivolous? And three, because court hearings are adversarial in nature, could the government prove its case when its claim was challenged? In other words, in a court, you can't just say something. You have to prove it with evidence upon the record, and the validity of that evidence can, evidence can be challenged by the defendant. Let's start by looking at the three things the government claimed I said. That's critical information if you want to take a shot at that $50,000 reward. The first thing the government said, I said, was the term person, as used in income tax law, does not include a natural person. 
Natural person means a person of flesh and blood. The government alleged I told clients person in the tax code is limited to legal fictions such as corporations. Now that you know what the government said I said, let's look at who exactly made the claim I said those things. The claim was made in a sworn declaration to the court by an IRS employee who was assigned to a special team that was tasked with shutting me down. I wish I could tell you the name of the IRS employee who filed that declaration, but I can't because he used a pseudonym in his declaration. How do I know he used a pseudonym? I know that because he stated it in his declaration to the court. He told the court that he was not submitting the declaration under his real name, but instead would only be using an IRS-approved pseudonym, Thomas Chung. So, some guy, whose name we don't know, who was assigned to a unit that had been working to silence me for years, made the claim I said those things. What's your credibility meter telling you at this point? Before I get into what happened when I challenged the declaration made by Mr. No Name, let's look at whether I actually said the things he claimed. This is also important to the $50,000 reward. Did I tell my clients, or anyone for that matter, that filing an income tax return is voluntary? Of course not, because it's ludicrous. For 30 years, I've told anyone who wants to know the truth of the income tax that filing a return is 100% not optional or voluntary, to use the government's word, if a person engages in activities that bring him or her within the realm where U.S. tax law imposes liability. That person must file a return. There is nothing voluntary about it. Did I tell my clients or even say anywhere at any time that person, as defined for the purpose of income tax, does not include flesh and blood human beings? <sighs> no. And for the same reason I just mentioned a moment ago, it's utterly absurd. When I first started researching U.S. income tax law in 1993, I saw some people making that claim. Being a virgin to tax law at that time, I immediately looked into it because legislatures often define legal terms to mean things the words do not mean in ordinary English. And to be clear, in some statutes, person is defined to expressly exclude a natural person. In some statutes, person expressly includes or excludes the federal government. The point being there is not one fixed meaning of person in law, and a good researcher will always read the definition section applicable to a statute or group of statutes. Accordingly, back in 1993, I checked into the claim that person, as used in income tax law, excludes the natural person and found it to be false. Because the inclusion of a natural person is the default meaning of person in law, when a legislature wants to exclude the natural person, they specifically state that in the definition. There is no such exclusionary language in the definition of person for the purpose of the income tax. Did I tell my clients, or say it anywhere at any time, that wages, as defined for the purpose of income tax, are not taxable? I'm sure you can anticipate the answer. No, I never said any such thing, and again, because it's absurd. Here are the facts about wages as defined for the purpose of income tax. Remember just a moment ago I said legislatures often define legal terms to mean things the word does not mean in ordinary English? Wages is just such a case. In ordinary English, wages simply means the compensation you receive from someone from whom you've done work. In the plain English definition, there are no qualifiers to the meeting, nor any factors that limit when compensation is or is not considered wages. 
Just the opposite is true in the legislatively provided definition of wages for income tax. Congress gave wages an incredibly narrow definition that excludes the vast majority of working people in the United States. What that means is for the tiny percentage of people who are earning wages, as defined by Congress, their pay is absolutely subject to income tax, while the pay of those who fall outside the narrow congressionally provided definition is not subject to income tax. So, did I ever say those whose pay falls under the narrow statutory definition of wages are not subject to income tax? Of course not. At this point, in light of the fact that I never said any of those things, you might be wondering why the government chose to claim I made those three particular statements. The reason is the federal courts have adjudicated those three statements to be false, and the crux of the government's case to stop me from helping my fellow citizens was that I was promoting false arguments. Without the courts having already adjudicated them to be false, the government couldn't argue I was promoting false claims. And here's the thing. I agree with those courts. <laughs> the statements the government claimed I said are indeed false. At this point, you may be wondering why the government didn't offer the court things I'd really said. Stand by for that. Now we get to the good part, if we can call criminal conduct between the judge and the attorney for the government the good part. Since I never said any of those things, Mr. No Name was obviously lying in his sworn declaration to the court. He was committing perjury, which is a felony. Committing perjury in court could cost Mr. No Name his job. Why would he risk his job like that? Because, in truth, there was no risk. The attorney for the government and the judge had already agreed how the court would handle the matter to ensure Mr. No Name could submit his perjured declaration while making it impossible for his perjury to be discovered. Before I go further, I want to be crystal clear about what I'm saying here. I am plainly stating an attorney for the government and Judge Anderson discussed my case outside the presence of the defense and during that conversation entered into a criminal conspiracy to cover up perjury known to both parties. If you're thinking that's a pretty serious accusation, I couldn't agree with you more. Because I never said any of the things the government said I said, my attorney requested an evidentiary hearing to question Mr. No Name about the particulars underlying the claims he made in his declaration. As an example, Mr. No Name claimed I said filing an income tax return is voluntary. He didn't substantiate that claim. He made what the law calls a naked assertion, which means he swore to it without offering any proof it was true. An evidentiary hearing would allow my attorney to question Mr. No Name for the facts supporting his claim, such as where and when I allegedly said those things. If, as an example, Mr. No Name responded that I'd said those things in an online chat group, my attorney would then have the legal right to demand the government produce documentary evidence supporting that assertion. I'm sure you can see the problem if Mr. No Name couldn't support any of his claims with underlying facts. Without supporting facts, my attorney could demand the declaration be stricken from the record, which would have eviscerated the government's case. Further, if Mr. No Name couldn't support his sworn statements with supporting facts, it would provide a very strong inference he'd committed not just perjury, but also fraud upon the court. An evidentiary hearing to determine if the government's assertions are fact-based or made-up bullshit isn't a mere nicety. It's a constitutional requirement that's part of due process. 
Due process is generally enshrined in our legal system and applies to both criminal and civil cases. But the due process clause in the Constitution is meant to ensure citizens are treated fairly in judicial proceedings by prohibiting the government from violating a defendant's rights, one of which is the right to inquire of the government if facts exist to support its allegations. In a civil matter, such as we're discussing here, that right is accomplished by an evidentiary hearing. Now that you understand what an evidentiary hearing is, and that it is a constitutionally mandated part of due process, what happened when my attorney requested an evidentiary hearing to determine if any facts existed to support Mr. No Name's claims? Judge Anderson denied the request. Yes, you heard me right. He denied me a constitutionally mandated procedure of due process. Leaving aside the unconstitutional aspect for a moment, in a practical sense, what Anderson's denial communicated was that in his court, the government was free to make any claim it wanted without a shred of evidence, and its unsupported claims will stand as truth, because the defendant will be denied the constitutionally mandated opportunity to determine whether the government is flat out lying, as it was in my case. If you started this presentation believing that if a court issues an injunction, the person enjoined must have been doing something bad or wrong, how do you feel about that now? Denying my request for an evidentiary hearing was not the only constitutionally enumerated right Anderson denied me during the proceeding. At one point, Anderson ordered me to meet with the IRS and answer questions they put to me. I didn't have a problem with that because I have nothing to hide and I'd previously made myself available to the IRS whenever they asked me to meet. My attorney and I, and IRS attorneys, went to an office across from the courthouse where the IRS attorney asked me probably somewhere in the range of a hundred questions. On perhaps three or four, my attorney leaned over, you know how they do when you're watching a television show or movie, directed me to take the fifth. Then, as now, I had no idea why he asked me to do that on those couple of questions, but I was paying him to be there and advise me, so I did as he asked. When we got back to the courtroom, the government complained to Anderson that I'd not answered those few questions. My attorney immediately said, Your Honor, my client took the fifth on advice of counsel. Anderson completely ignored my attorney, looked right at me, and said, If you take the fifth in my courtroom, you're going to jail. That's a quote, by the way. How are you feeling about the legitimacy of the proceeding now? So, did I go to jail? I did, because before I could put a filter in place, I stood up, looked that corrupt scumbag right in the face, and told him to go fuck himself. Yes, I said that. At that point, he panicked, and he fled the courtroom. He literally jumped up and ran out of the courtroom, telling the clerk as he ran out the door to call the marshals. I was then jailed for contempt of court, and I do it all over again. Percy Anderson is a constitution-violating, cowardly little bitch, and I have zero problem telling him that to his face. Later, for some odd reason, Anderson attempted to justify his unconstitutional act of denying me my right to remain silent by saying that if I intended to take the fifth, I needed to inform him of that during my first appearance. Every first-year law school student knows that's complete bullshit. Not only is there no requirement in law, either statutory or decisional, to inform a judge in advance that later in the case you may take the fifth, but in fact the law says just the opposite. You may have heard the term blanket fifth. That's when a defendant states he or she is going to take the fifth prior to hearing any of the questions the opposing party intends to ask. 
Here is the Department of Justice's official statement about a blanket fifth summarizing the case law. Quote, The blanket, or general, assertion of a Fifth Amendment privilege is insufficient as a matter of law. Instead, the Fifth Amendment privilege must be asserted on a question-by-question basis, close quote. Since no questions were asked of me during my initial appearance before Anderson, if I'd done as he corruptly stated and told him I would be taking the Fifth without having heard a single question, I'd have been making a blanket Fifth, which is legally impermissible, what DOJ calls insufficient as a matter of law. I'm sure you can see why he is rated as the third worst federal judge in the nation. Earlier, I told you I never said any of the things Mr. No Name claimed I said in his unsupported declaration. Is there evidence I never said those things? There is, though it's circumstantial, because it is impossible to prove a negative. So what is the evidence I never said the things Mr. No Name claimed? First, we have Anderson unconstitutionally barring me from questioning Mr. No Name in an evidentiary hearing. For any thinking person, that alone should be conclusive that I never said those things. Second, it's been more than a decade since Mr. No Name made his unsupported claims, and no one has been able to provide a single example of me saying those things. Given that I've written about the truth of the income tax prolifically on the internet since the late 1990s, and have done countless video presentations on the subject over the last 15 years, had I said such things, it should have been easy for someone to find instances where I made those statements. No one has. Ever. Third, and this is where the $50,000 reward comes in. I released income tax shattering the myths in 2010, a year before the government sought its injunction. In one of the government's filing, DOJ admitted it had a copy of my book. Income tax shattering the myths contains every meaningful thing Americans need to know concerning the truth of the income tax. Let me repeat that. Income tax shattering the myths contains every meaningful thing Americans need to know concerning the truth of the income tax. If I thought the term person as used in the tax code didn't include a natural person, as you can imagine, that would be featured prominently in income tax shattering the myths. If I thought wages as defined for income tax weren't taxable, you would expect that to appear in income tax shattering the myths. And if I believed filing an income tax return was voluntary, I'd imagine that would be the most prominent message of the book. So here's how you can win $50,000. All you have to do is find in Income Tax Shattering the Mist where I say person doesn't include a natural person, wages as defined for income tax purposes aren't taxable, or filing an income tax return is voluntary. And to make it as easy as possible for you to win the $50,000, you don't have to find all of them. You only need to find one of the three. Pretty simple, right? Or maybe not so much. You have to wonder why the IRS had one of its employees commit perjury. Had a DOJ attorney and a federal judge criminally conspire to conceal the perjury, that conspiracy itself being a felony, if the government could have just placed my book into evidence and read passages into the court record where I said those things. Why all the subterfuge and federal officers committing felonies if it was right there in my book, a copy of which the government admitted it has? At this point, some of you may be doubting you'll be able to find in Income Tax Shattering the Mist the three things Mr. No Name said I said. And you're not wrong. And now I'm going to tell you how the corrupt process the government used to fraudulently get an injunction against me is 
fantastic news for the American people, for you. Remember I said the government had to attribute to me positions that have been adjudicated to be frivolous in order to get the injunction? Do you also remember that despite possessing a copy of income tax shattering the mist, the government didn't offer into evidence a single word of what I have really said? Now, keeping in mind that the government had to make it look like I was promoting false positions, why do you think the government didn't place into evidence a single word from income tax shattering the mist? I'm sure it's obvious to you, but I'll say it anyway, because every word of income tax shattering the mist is factual and legally accurate. Primarily because it's not my words, it's the government's words. Let's leave aside Anderson's corruption. Leave aside that attorneys for the government discussed the case with the judge without me and my counsel present. Leave aside that Judge Anderson, an attorney for the government, committed multiple felonies. Leave aside that an IRS employee knowingly, willfully, and intentionally committed perjury. If we leave all of that aside, the fantastic news is the government's refusal to enter income tax shattering the mist into evidence or quote even a single word from it proves to every thinking American that what you'll find in income tax shattering the mist is the truth concerning upon whom Congress has imposed the income tax and more importantly upon whom it has not. If you're living and working in any of the 50 states earning your own domestic income, you do not owe a penny of income tax and never have. Let's consider how credible you find the government's claims about me. Are you willing to spend a few dollars to get a copy of Income Tax Shattering Mist for the purpose of finding even one of the government's claims and receiving $50,000? If your answer is no, then you know the government lied its ass off to cover up that what's in Income Tax Shattering the Mist is factual and legally accurate. It is the truth that can set our nation free. And what that means is you have access to a truth that is far and away more important than $50,000. It's a truth about freedom and liberty. And it's not some feel-good hyperbole, but solid information you can use to take back your liberty. To get income tax shattering the mist, go to drreality.news, drreality.news. I'll put the link in the notes. By purchasing Income Tax Shattering the Mist, you not only do something amazing for yourself, but you help me to continue to be here for you with these thought-provoking presentations. Thank you.